right. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Everybody got their post-Turkey uh, Day hangover gone, and I'm going to move these down a little bit because I have a lot of scriptures to share with you. And uh, Gabe did a, such a great job. I don't know if you guys notice it, but we have a light up here that's freaking out and is like flashing, and she was able to get through the announcements without going, what is that? I am not that focused, so it'll probably throw me off. But hey, um, quick public service announcement. Only 24 shopping days left until Christmas. It is December 1st. Can you guys believe that? That is amazing. Hey, guess what else it is? What else is today? Today is the first day of Advent. How many of you have heard of Advent or know what Advent is? How many of you celebrate that tradition at home? Okay. Just a few of you, right? A lot of us know what it is. A lot of us have the calendar. We have a, a little gingerbread man with the little pull-out drawers, and we have that. But it's something that we kind of know of, um, but we don't put a lot of, of effort behind celebrating that or acknowledging that, at least, at least typically most people that I know. What Advent is, just a quick kind of recap, um, Advent is just the Latin word. It just means coming. It just means coming. And so Advent starts today, and it ends up on Christmas, and what it is, is the celebration of a coming Messiah. So it's, it's a celebration of the first coming of the Messiah when he's born, and an anticipation or a preparation for the second coming. And it's, the reason I bring that up is because it's so appropriate for what we are studying in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we get to see the Messiah come back to earth. We get to see his reign on earth. And we ultimately get to see him rule on earth in the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. We get to see that. It actually happens in the next chapter that we're going to study. Today, we are in chapter 20. So, welcome to all you visitors. If this is your first time here, um, we are in a nice kind of fluffy Christmas series. We're doing uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we are working our way through chapter by chapter by chapter. Um, so, you're going to, uh, you're going to be fed some meat today. Today, we're in chapter 20. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding. Again, the reason I bring this up every time is a lot of misunderstanding. People hear the revelation of Jesus Christ, and they go, oh, that's the whole, that's the whole book about fire and brimstone and judgment and going to hell and all kind of wrath of God and all those sorts of things. Yes, those sorts of things are in there. Absolutely, they're in there. You can't change what the Word of God says. However, what we can change is our perception of that. The perception of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that it is all those scary things. And some people don't even want to look at it at all, don't want to study it at all because of that. But how many of you understand, most of you should understand, that you can't just pull out one book in the Bible in isolation and base your whole theology and your whole idea of who God is and how good he is on one, on one book, much less one particular scripture or one verse like some people do, base their whole theology on one particular verse. We have to take the Bible in context. We have to take the entirety. If our God was a good and loving father in chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, creating the earth, creating us with a purpose on this world, if he was a good God then, he's a good God now. 
And he's a good God when we see things unfold, even including his wrath upon the earth. His wrath on the earth isn't on those people who just happen to be innocent bystanders. His wrath delivered in the book of Revelation that we see this prophetic vision here is on those who are unrepentant. It's on those who have a full awareness of who he is, a full awareness of who Jesus Christ is, and they have rejected him. Nobody's innocent bystanders at this point. Nobody's just like, oh, I had no idea, and here comes this wrath of God. We see over and over again in this book where God throws out lifeline after lifeline, chance after chance after chance, leaving no stone unturned, leaving no possibility that there will be anybody left experiencing this wrath that unfolds who hasn't made that decision consciously. And that's why we can take hope from this. Nobody's going to be caught unaware. Nobody's going to be caught by surprise. Our experience through this time depends on our response to him. And it really always has. So let's get into it. Let's get into looking at our scripture here. Now, Revelation, for those of you who are new or haven't been in a while, Revelation is the only book that expressly says You're blessed if you read it and blessed if you hear it. In verse 3, it says you're blessed if you read it, blessed if you hear it. But then, one more step, you have to take it to heart. You have to heed these things, the word says. Heed them, which means take it to heart. Understand them. Let it change you. Okay, so my job is going to be to read every word of this book aloud. We're going to read chapter 20 in its entirety here today. You'll hear every word. Then we'll take it apart We'll try and make sense of it. We'll try and make sense of some of the imagery because there is a lot of imagery here. And then your job is to take it to heart and heed it. And I'll help you with that at the end here too. So last week, last week we got into this. We're at this place where we see this triumphant Christ ride in on his white stallion, okay? And his forces defeat the forces of the Antichrist and the forces of the false prophet in the battle of Armageddon. Even a casual Christian, on again, off again Christian, or even those who aren't Christians understand the battle of Armageddon to be the final battle, right? It's actually not the final battle. There's one more. We're going to talk about that here today. So that's what we saw last week. This week, four, there's more than this, but four essentially very significant Things happen in chapter 20 as we see this progressive revelation of Jesus Christ unfold. Here they are. Number one, Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. Amen, right? That's good news. Number two, the dead come to life and reign on earth with Christ for a thousand years. Also good news, right? The third one, Satan is freed from the abyss, and again tries to challenge God. That's interesting, right? And then the last one, the dead, all of the dead, are judged before the throne. Okay, so I know since all of you have a firm grasp and completely understand all the ins and outs of all that, I'm just going to skip all that talking about it, and we're just going to go right to the end, right? Everybody okay with that? Yeah. There's a lot there, isn't there? 
There's a lot, but let's look into this and let's try and make sense of this. <coughs> Excuse me. So I am going to, before we go into this, I just want to pray for a little extra revelation, if you will, for all of us. Because there is so much in here, I just want to pray that what God has given me to deliver, I'm able to deliver in a way that you receive it the way he intends that to be received. So if you would just join me in this. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your word is here today and it has always been there as a signpost, as a guide for us to navigate this life ahead of us, as an encouragement to persevere no matter what happens to us. And so, Father, as this message today unfolds, I pray that you use this message as an encouragement to continue to persevere, not only persevere in where we are, but maybe, Lord, to know you for the first time ever, maybe to have that first full understanding of our desperate need for you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would show us things we need to see, maybe in a way we have never seen them before, and that you would use my words to unlock your wisdom and your truth. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get into this. Now, in, as we've gone through all these chapters, we've seen for all the way through from chapter 1 all the way to, to 19, really, we've seen things jumping around chronologically. We've seen where the Apostle John, as he writes this from exile on Patmos, is not super concerned with making sure that things are chronological, right? He's seeing these revelations occur in one way, and sometimes he'll see a revelation occur to him, and he'll see it at the same time he's witnessing another revelation and how many of you know, he's just human. He's inspired by God, and he's seeing these things, but he's only human. And so to see what comes first and how this fits, he's just writing down what he's seeing. And so we have to try and make sense of that. But in this chapter, chapter 20, and then next week, 21, we see things are chronological. They are happening in order right now. Also, much of the imagery kind of goes away, and we start seeing a little bit more of the, of the things literally happening. So it's, it's mostly literal. I'll show you where it's not. And it's also chronological now. So we had the Battle of Armageddon that occurred in the last chapter. Next chapter, we see the new Jerusalem come to earth. So in between those two things, we have what occurs here in chapter 20. So let's get into it. Last week, we saw Satan, uh, we saw Christ defeat Satan's puppets, basically his pawns, right? The Antichrist and the false prophet. He saw them defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. We saw that happen. Now, though, it's Satan's turn. Because remember, Satan is the one pulling the puppet strings. And he was not defeated last week. He was not cast into the lake of fire. But his puppets were now Chapter 20. Chapter 20 of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ is 15 verses. I'm going to read them all. I use the New American Standard Version, so if you have that, you can follow along, or you can follow along in your translation. It might be just a little bit different, but let's get into it. Now, this, this tense that I'm reading here, it starts out, then I saw, the I there is the Apostle John. Okay, remember, he's seeing this vision, and he's writing down what he's told. He's writing down what he's seeing here. So here it goes. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. 
And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they come up on the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which are in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds." Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All kinds of stuff there. It's all fantastic news. So let's get into it. Let's start looking at these individual scriptures, pulling them out and seeing what's going on here. Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Something significant about this. So many people put Satan on par with God in terms of how powerful he is. Many people do that. Satan wants you to believe that's how it works. Satan wants to believe that he can be like God. He puts himself out there that he's as strong as God. The reason this is important is that it's not God coming down with a chain binding Satan. It's not Jesus coming down with a a chain binding Satan. It's an angel. It's an angel of the Lord, meaning that not only is Satan not as powerful as God, or Jesus, he's not even as powerful as the chosen angel of the Lord to do this. Satan wants to think he's elevated, but he is not. He is not. He's simply a liar and a deceiver. We see this angel literally laying hands on Satan and throwing him into 
the abyss. Okay, this is important to recognize the difference between the abyss and the lake of fire. Okay, the lake of fire is hell. We'll see that in a little bit here. And I talked about what the lake of fire was last week. So go back and listen to my message if you missed it. You can get our podcast online or Google Play or iTunes, see what's going on there. The abyss is more of a prison, if you will. It's kind of a holding prison for demons. We see that here. Okay, so this is where we are. Revelation 20, verse 3. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So this is, this moment is the beginning of the millennium reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. It's not in heaven. That reign, that thousand-year reign happens on earth. We need to understand that. At this point, there's not a lot left of earth, right? Mountains have crumbled. Oceans have turned into blood. We've seen stars fall from heaven. All kinds of terrible plagues beset upon the earth. But this is where Christ will be ruling for that thousand years. Now, those living on earth at this point are going to be experiencing as close to perfection as you can get. There's no more demonic influence, right? Satan has been bound. The Antichrist, the false prophet, they've been bound and they've been cast down. So it's a perfect government under Christ, perfect rule. It's as close to a perfect life on earth as you can get. Those who are on earth at this point will be experiencing that. Imagine what a life free from demonic influence would be. A life free from the schemes and the lies of the devil would be. That's what they're experiencing at this time. And they are experiencing Christ in the flesh on earth ruling. This is where they are. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, these are the saints, and the saints are... Those who believe in Christ, it's a mixture of Old Testament and New Testament saints who belong to Christ. Remember, going back to Revelation in chapter 14, Revelation 14 said, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. This is those who died in the Lord from then on. Okay, that's this combination of saints that are up here. And this is the blessing that they're going to receive. They get to rule with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 5 says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Okay, now, don't confuse this with the rapture. Unless you're a post-tribulation person. Remember we talk about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, rapture, and when exactly do these things happen? When does this unfold? If you are a post-tribulation rapture person, you're going to think this, this is that 
this will be that rapture moment. Okay, I happen to believe in the pre-tribulation aspects, so I believe there's scripture that backs that up. This is, this is the first resurrection, not to be confused with the first rapture. Make sense? Totally crystal clear? Okay, moving on. Moving on. Now, where it says this is the first resurrection, this is referring to those who reign with Christ, okay? Those who, who confess Christ as their Savior and they will reign with him. This is not the rest of the dead who will come to life later. There will soon be a physical bodily resurrection of the dead, okay? And they will be judged, Revelation 20, verse 7 and 8. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Okay, sand of the seashore, the number of them, that just means multitudes. Too many to count, right? Now, Gog and Magog. Everybody crystal clear on what Gog and Magog means? We'll talk about that here in just a second. But first, the most pressing question that comes out of this scripture, why will Satan be released? Yeah, good question. I would like to figure that out someday. I want to share with you what, what the Lord revealed to me through my study and through an understanding of what's going on here. Again, picture you're on earth at this point. Okay, picture you're one of those people who are still on earth enjoying the thousand-year reign of Christ. Free of demonic influence, okay, free of false prophets, free of the Antichrist, as close to heaven on earth as you can get without it actually being heaven on earth. You see Christ, the Messiah, ruling over all the nations. This is the world that you live in. And you've lived in that world for a thousand years. Not you specifically, generations. Approximately, depending on how you do the math, 30 generations of human beings removed from the tribulations and the fire and the brimstone and the judgment and the mountain shaking and the seas of blood. 30 generations removed from that. Free of demonic influence, but not free of human nature not free of human nature. And so after that time, you have people, you have generations who have said, all that, all that tribulation stuff, the fire and the brimstone and the judgment, that was my great, great, great grandfather's religion. I don't need that. I'm living in a perfect world right now. I don't need anything. Human nature will be that there will be those on earth who will begin to take advantage of that, who will begin to forget who Jesus as the Messiah was, and more importantly, forget what life without him would be like. And they start to stray. This is what we see here. They start to stray in this place. Some of them, they know Christ, but they're only pretending to follow him. They're only pretending to give him authority in their life. When Satan reappears, now they will have a leader to marshal behind, and they'll be exposed for who they are. This is what's happening here. They quickly return back to their sinful ways when Satan and his influence reappears. 
So we're going to see what happens here in just a minute. And I'll talk about Gog and Magog for just a second. Gog and Magog goes all the way back to Genesis where we see, remember last week I was talking about Nimrod being a grandson of Noah, okay? Gog is another grandson of Noah, okay? Noah totally lost control of his grandsons. But we see kind of a description of what this is if we go back to Ezekiel. I'm going to read two scriptures to you. Ezekiel 38, 1 through 3 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog in the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And then a little bit later in 38 also, 15, 16, says, You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. Okay, so Gog, we don't know exactly what the identity of, of Gog and Magog is right now. Okay, some people say Gog is a person, Magog is the place, which makes sense if we look at Scripture. We do know that it's a northern leader, a leader from the north and his lands, right, which a lot of people use, and it may be correct, to point to a resurgent Ottoman Empire, a Turkish Empire, okay, coming down to do the Lord's work in here. It may be that rise again of the, of the Turkish Empire, we see a lot of people that use Scripture to point to that. It may also, like Babylon, it may also be not a specific person, but it may be more of a spirit. We talked about Babylon being a kingdom, but really in this context, it's more of a spirit of Babylon. Gog and Magog may be the very same thing, but Scripture doesn't give us a clear direction, so we move on. It's not important that we understand the identity of who these people are, only that it's going to happen. Revelation 20, verse 9 says, And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The beloved city is Jerusalem. Now, remember the battle of Armageddon where we have all these forces and there's this big lead up and there's all kinds of trumpets and all sorts of things that, that are a prelude to this battle of Armageddon. Here, we see too, many, too much of an army to even count, like grains of sand on the seashore. So many came up and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And here's what the battle looks like. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Bam. End of story. No more revelation of, of, of anything to those people. No more build-up to it. No more warnings. They have lived under the government of the Messiah for a thousand years, 30-plus generations, and they've had plenty of opportunity to understand what's going on, and they have again strayed. And God's about to bring down the new Jerusalem, bring heaven down to earth. He's about to do that, and there's no more room for these people. So he takes care of that, crushes them instantly. No fanfare, it just happens. 
Revelation 20.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember, it was a thousand years ago when the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire. Remember, the lake of fire and the pit are not the same thing. They were thrown into the lake of fire a thousand years ago. This is where we get the idea that this eternal torment of the damned in the lake of fire, because they're still there a thousand years later when the devil is finally tossed down. Then we see the judgment of Christ. Revelation 20.11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Now this is the great white throne of Christ. Okay, now we see the great white throne of Christ where there will be judgment. Okay, then we've also seen in different scripture the judgment seat of Christ. Right? All kinds of scriptures talk about the judgment seat of of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:10 says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Okay, that is for Christians. Those those people who say that Jesus is Lord will appear before this judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes it's called the bema seat. This is for Christians though. It's not a salvation issue. And it's not even a condemnation issue. Because Scripture also tells us that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So you're not going to, at this point, stand at any point, stand before Christ to have him condemn you. What that judgment is going to look like is, here's what I gave you. Here's what you did with it. And we will be the ones saying, I've been given so much. Did I do with it enough to honor Christ and his sacrifice? That's going to be our judgment as a Christian. That's what we're going to see here. This, though, is not that. We're talking about non-Christians being judged here before the great white throne. And it happens in in a void between, between everything. There is no more earth. It said, Earth has fled away, right? It says, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. So this takes place in a void. There is no more earth at this point. It's gone. Revelation 20, 12 says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, this second resurrection, if you will, is for non-believers. Okay, this is not the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne of judgment that we see here. And this is the judgment that's going on, okay? This is only non-believers are being judged here at this point. And you're going to hear a reading. It says there's a book. And he's going to read from this book. And it's going to be a book of the accounts of your life. Again, non-believers. And so there will not be any, wow, Jesus, you're supposed to be so great and look what you're doing to me. It's going to be, here are the charges against you. And here's the judgment. And there will be no argument because you'll be seeing in this book a recounting of your life. Those in faith who have been saved by Jesus Christ, have been acquitted. 
And that's good news, guys. That's good news. We will not be standing before that judgment seat. Revelation 20, verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Okay, this simply means there is no escaping judgment. No matter where you are, no matter what station in life, no matter when you died, you will all appear before Christ. And then it says, death and Hades were also thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is that final place. That's hell. That's the final eternal damnation right there. Revelation 20, 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's what's important about that. I, I read this, and what I picture is a merciful God desperately searching this book one more time for a name he knows isn't there. But he's searching it because in his heart, he wants everybody's name to be written in that book. But he knows he's not going to find them. But he's searching that book one last time before judgment is passed and you're thrown into the lake of fire. There's no mistaking that. But a merciful God, again, gives every opportunity at every step along the way to have your name written in that book of life. Now, will your name be written in the book of life? Will your name be written in the book of life? Do you have questions? Here's how we know. Let's look at a couple of these things. Revelation 3, this book, chapter 3, verse 5 says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. That's the white garments of the righteous, right? And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, so now we have to jump back up to the first three words of that. He who overcomes. Who's he who overcomes? Who is he who overcomes? We go back, same author, we go back to 1 John Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It's a little bit longer. I'll just read this one to you. It explains who he who overcomes is. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died for your sins and on the third day rose again? If you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord of Savior, Lord and Savior, you are an overcomer. And your name is and forever will be written in the book of life. We are not strong enough, fast enough, or smart enough to get our name out of that book once it's in there. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and head on up. The important thing in all of this to realize is that it's up to us. Is your name written in the book of life? Is the name of your family, of your friends, those you care about, those you love, are their names written in the book of life? 
Because that's our part in this, is to make sure everyone that we know and love and care about, which according to Jesus should be everyone, right? Make sure their names are written in the book of life or that they have at the very least had an opportunity to make that decision because we know there are people who will make the opposite decision. And I don't want anybody that I know to be in that place. So if you're here, I want to ask you, do you confess Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you're here and you're saying, I've never done that. I don't know that I want to do that. I have a lot of questions still. I want to give you the opportunity right now to make that decision. Because I can't answer every single question you would ever have. But when you say yes to Jesus Christ and stop running, stop resisting, and just say yes to what he offers you, this gift is freely given. It doesn't cost you anything, but it will change everything in your life. In the days when the Apostle John wrote this, and in the days when the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, we've, many of us have heard this, most of us have, Romans 10, 9, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth, if you believe and confess, believe and confess, then you will be saved. When that was written, if you believed and confessed out loud in front of the wrong person, it could be a death sentence. Meaning at that time, literally, you were told you had to confess that Caesar was Lord. And if you refused and confessed instead that Jesus was Lord, if you did that in front of the wrong person, it could be a death sentence for you. But today, it's just a life sentence. It gives life. That confession out loud, that declaration, that belief in your heart is a life sentence. It writes your name in the book of life. So I want to offer a chance for you to do that now. It's not about a formula. As I said, you confess and you believe. You believe, you confess. That's all there is to it. But here are some things just to consider. If you want to say this prayer, I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. And I don't really believe in the whole, I'm going to say a prayer and you repeat the words after me. I believe that a prayer should come from your heart. But I want to model what that prayer looks like. And so I'm going to say that in a minute. But here are the elements of any prayer of receiving Christ. You acknowledge in your heart that he is Lord. Number one, I acknowledge that you are Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You have to believe that he died for your sins and was raised later for you, that he paid that price. And maybe this is the most important thing. Repent of your sins. You have to repent of your sins. You can't confess that he is Lord and then continue to live in sin the way that you always have. Confession that Jesus is, is Lord will change you. It's not because there's going to be a list. Okay, you've confessed Jesus. Here's a list of what you have to do now. But it will change you, and you will live your life differently. The last step, and that's this is an option. If you want, we have the baptismal set up still. And if you would like to confess Jesus as Lord, repent of your sins, and be baptized, we have it available. 
So if this is the first time you've ever done it, that would be wonderful. We'll all stay and we'll share that moment with you. But maybe you're here and you're feeling, I just need to reaffirm that. I need to publicly reaffirm that Jesus is the Lord of my life and be baptized. We have that there. So whether you've told me you want to do this or not, whether you've planned ahead or not, if you want to, we have a way. We've got some towels. We've got some T-shirts you can change into. It's not that cold outside. You won't freeze to death unless you stay outside. But we offer that opportunity for you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray the prayer. I'm going to explain communion. And then I'll be in the back of the sanctuary after that. And I would like you to come back and see me if you want to be baptized. And I'll explain it to you if you have any questions. And then we'll celebrate that here. But here's what a salvation prayer looks like. And if you want to pray this with me, you can. If you want to fill in the blanks with whatever's meaningful to you, do that. But here's what it looks like. Lord, I recognize that I've not lived my life for you up until now. I've been living for myself, and that's wrong. I need you in my life, and I want you in my life. I'll acknowledge the work of your son, Jesus Christ, in giving his life for me on the cross, and I want to receive the forgiveness you have made freely available to me through his sacrifice. Come into my life now, Lord. Live in my heart and be my king, my Lord, and my Savior. From this day forward, I will refuse to be controlled by sin. I will follow you all of the days of my life. Those days are in your hands, Lord, and I give myself fully and freely to you. And I pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to go into communion now. If you're new here, if it's been a while and you've forgotten at the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you can serve yourself or your family. You just dip the bread of the juice or the bread of the cracker in the juice. Serve yourself that way. Up front here and here we have two stations uh, this morning. We'll have wine up front, and we'd be happy to serve you. You would just line up there or line up over here. But let's do this in celebration, not just remembering of who Christ is, but let's do this in celebration as today is the first day of Advent. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what a risen Christ has done for us. And let's celebrate the fact that his word promises us a return, a new heaven and a new earth. And if that's not reason to celebrate, church, I don't know what is. So we'll do that. We'll take communion. Immediately after that, I'll come back up and I'll just introduce communion again. One more opportunity for anybody to make that decision. And we'll go from there. Thank you, church.
I'm fine. 